0: Welcome everyone to the gaming couch. Be it video games, card games, or board games, we'll have a good time playing. So come and join me on the couch, this is your host, Smartboy. Welcome back everyone. It's been some time since we've talked, which, eh, things happen, it's fine. Today, this is kind of like, this is something I've been thinking about for quite some time, and I thought it'd be fun to kind of just, you know, do an episode that, Is essentially just a rant almost, just a a string of thoughts one into another and just kind of see where the conversation goes with it. That thought it'd be fun to try out because today I want to look at something that is one of my favorite things in video games and something that I think is not so much a staple but incredibly important on a different level than other things we've talked about and that is the Boss fights, you know, boss fights have been around for you know decades, ever since like the beginning of gaming, we've seen these parts in a game, whether it's the main villain or just some Joe Blow that shows up, there's something there that, it's not a summary, but it's like a, I'm trying to think how to put it, almost like a tipping point or something, like this, this point in the game where you've gathered all these skills and now like this is it, you know, you make it or you break it. You either pass it or you have to retry. Things like that. A real test of what you know of the game up until this point. And in the beginning, we're talking like way back, back in like the Genesis, Super NES. Like those times when games became a little more structured beyond like the Commodore 64 with graphics and more story and solid gameplay and things like that, the boss fights usually were dedicated to the RPG era, you know, the RPG genre of gaming with platformers kind of, like, throwing in here and there their fun with boss fights, and, of course, the arcade side-scrolling beat-em-ups. Now, when it comes to RPGs and beat-em-ups, obviously those are fighting games, so fighting people makes a lot of sense. But in things of, like, Mario, Rocket Knight Adventures, and then we dip into, like, the PS1 era with Crash Bandicoot and Spyro, platformers had a different way of looking at boss fights. And that's where we can summarize most boss fights, even like the modern day boss fights when we look at, you know, puzzle games, shooters and things like that, where there's one or two different types of boss fights, either it's like a puzzle slash pattern kind of boss fight where fighting the boss is essentially just figuring out their pattern, there's nothing else to it. Like they are a very powerful opponent, however, if you know that one little pattern of their attacks, they're incredibly easy and they essentially turn out to be very weak because their main attack or their main ways of dealing damage to you is obvious enough to you at this point that you can dodge it easily, and then anything else the boss does is you can pretty much ignore it. Those like the puzzle pattern style bosses. And then the other bosses are more of a... Not a gauntlet, Like so there are bosses out there that are like a gauntlet, but those bosses that are more out there for your test of endurance, and that looks... More the RPG style, especially like Final Fantasy. When we talk about bosses like Kafka from Final Fantasy, what was that? Uh, not sure one he was from like Kafka, I know sticks out in my mind when it comes to bosses that they are these lengthy fights where yeah they have powerful moves, but since it's a you know a fighter game or an RPG for the sense where there is no mobility in combat, it's a matter of just strategizing to survive and withstand all these attacks to beat the boss before the boss beats you. Both of these styles of boss fights are great. Their executions are completely different, though, in the way they're handled, obviously, because if it's an endurance test. You're not so worried about recognizing a pattern. And so when you're developing the boss, it's more about, okay, there needs to be a balance of powerful moves and not so powerful moves. We don't want just throwaway moves, like moves that are pretty weak, because there's no point to that. This boss is just it's Mono a Mono, or the party versus the boss nothing else to it those puzzle pattern bosses where there's a mobility put into play especially with platformers where you have an arena that you can move around okay yeah the boss might have throwaway moves or might have a super powerful move that can annihilate the player in one hit however how is it structured how does that attack look you know if it's a weak move that might be kind of a throwaway move that is a little bit of damage. Maybe it's, you know, releasing gas into the area. It's a huge AoE that does a little bit of damage that, face value, it doesn't do much. The buildup of it, of just letting those little moves kind of get through, can harm you. So is there a way to protect yourself from it? How do you counter it? Stuff like that. And when it comes to those epic moves that can obliterate the player, okay, what is in play to show the player that's attack coming is there something we can stand behind? I know World of Warcraft was big on that as it went on, especially like into Lich King and other raid bosses, where there would be this incredibly powerful move, but then the stage would provide you cover to stand behind. Now, I'm thinking, you know, I want to start in the beginning. You know, when boss fights first became a big thing, they weren't too complex. That's what we saw in most of those puzzle-type bosses. You know, Super Mario on the NES... Super Mario World, and, super, you know, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, especially Bowser, and, you know, like, the other little bosses they kind of had dotted around whoever it was at the time. It was a huge pattern. And the bosses themselves weren't too complex, because for the most part in Mario, yeah, it was like you had a health bar, and that was that. So there was no super powerful move that did a lot of damage, because all the attacks did the same amount of damage. It was just a matter of recognizing, I know in, like, Super Mario World 3, you know, Super Mario Bros. 3, sorry, when Bowser turns upside down and drops out the little Mecha Koopas, okay, jump on them, pick them up, throw my Bowser when he's trying to swing at me. You know, dip down in the uh, the clown car. There's nothing more to it. And in the rest of the game, and this happens in like a lot of Mario games, maybe not as much as recently, but I could see it in, like in the past where there's those throwaway bosses. Throwaway bosses are those platformer bosses, and you see them in other games, where in the context of the story, they don't have much... Impact like it's an enemy that kind of just shows up to be a hindrance, and you beat them and you move on. You know, in Mario, it's always Bowser's a big baddie at the end, but many bosses leading up to that. And you're looking at Odyssey also, the bosses before you get to Bowser, the mo- most of them, they're just these people or these creatures or whatever that's on your way to be kind of that test of your ability up into that point. And they match thematically with what's going on. However, from that, it's like, okay, yeah, I just beat this boss, but what did it mean in the rest of the game? It doesn't mean much. The boss might be memorable for how fun it is of a fight and trying to figure out how to beat it, but beyond that, there's not much to it. So that's where I segue into more of the modern era of 2016 with a hat in time, and that I felt playing, and I recently bought it, downloaded it, and beat it in one day. It was a really fun game, really enjoyable. I felt a lot of, like, Super Mario Sunshine slash Odyssey in it with the way you could move around with Hat Girl. It kind of felt like they were going for a similar style of motion. And it worked. Like, it felt real, it felt good, it was easy to move around, and it was fun. However, the one of the big differences there is, unlike the Mario games, I mean, even Sunshine... The, there were most of those bosses were just kind of like there, like they would appear in a cutscene. you just fought them, and that was the end of it. In Hat and Time, going with a similar style of gameplay with the platforming, the bosses kind of meant something to the game. Each chapter was in a different area, with the exception of Chapter 4, the area kind of had a boss that was a part of the whole thing. So, you know, Chapter 1 was Mafia Town, so you took out the head of the Mafia. Chapter 2 was Battle of the Birds with the two different producers, competing for an award, and then they they shoehorned in a boss fight there, but it was actually, like, my favorite in the entire game, fighting, like, the directors was actually kind of cool. And then the third area, I honestly can't remember his name, because it's not really ever ever said, but in Subcon Forest, kind of the, the ghosty, powerful guy, Shadow being that kind of overlooks the whole forest, is in the boss fight there. And with all three of those, and then even the final boss with Mustache Girl they are characters that are implemented. Mustache girl, not so much. She shows up, you know, two or three times in the beginning, and then it's kind of like taking a backseat. She does her own things to plot her whole, like, control of the world and remove all the bad guys. The other bosses are constant. Like, you know them. You see them interact. Like, there's some agency they have in the game that you have with them. Like, yes, I'm interacting with this person, which then makes the boss fight all the more interesting and all the more memorable because beyond just knowing how to fight the person, learning their pattern on the spot, there's a reason for them being there, and it's fun, because it's like, hey, I know this person, I've interacted with this person, and now to see them actually go toe-to-toe with me is interesting, especially Chapter 2. When you did Battle of the Birds, the fact that you're fighting a movie director is weird. Like, it doesn't seem like it'd be a thing, but then again, Hat in Time, is just always kind of, like, quirky, weird, and cute, so it doesn't matter as much. But it's a really fun fight, because it starts to blend in with the endurance style of boss fights. So in Chapter 2, it doesn't matter whether you fight DJ Grooves or the Conductor, there's boss fights the same exact setup, it's just like the way it looks is a little bit different, you know, like the floor is a different style and all the poses are a little bit different based on the director, but they're all the same, you know, it's the same moveset and everything. With those fights, it's like your traditional platform in the sense that you're recognizing patterns. However, those bosses, those pattern recognition bosses started to dip into the endurance style over the years. Because those patterns would get harder and harder and harder, and the boss would get longer and longer and longer, it then came down to a test of your skill of how long can you go toe-to-toe with them, noticing their patterns. So I remember fighting it for the first time, and I went up against the conductor. He starts with some very basic moves. You know, he drops a, a big, sparkly, kind of like disco ball from the ceiling, which sends out a shockwave. He'll just lunge at you and tackle the floor... You know, that's really it. They're just one-shot moves, and after he does it, you counter it, and it's not that hard to dodge. However, as the fight goes on, he introduces a few more attacks, and they get longer. So instead of just dropping a single ball from the ceiling, they'll then turn out to be five. And each one sends out their own shockwave, and they drop in order. So now you're trying to dodge those shockwaves. And this is the thing is, it happens later in the boss fight. So either you're already low on health, or in a more physical, like, player position as the player yourself you are now getting tired. You've been at this. I mean I remember going at that fight. It was like eight nine minutes, something like that. It was a lengthy fight the first time I went at it, trying to figure everything out. So I was physically getting tired. Because I'm like, okay, I know the move is coming, but it's like goddamn like it just it keeps coming. Like I keep hitting him, but he is a computer. He is just a program. Programs are not gonna get tired. I'm gonna get tired. So he's going to keep throwing these attacks at me, and I have to just continue to be quick and be on my toes, even if it gets to me, and I get tired and I get winded. And then that's where also how in time does well is yes, you're getting winded. However, at a certain point, in these very lengthy phases, there's a pause. And there's a cutscene, and that's also what I enjoy about some of the boss fights over time as they become a little more cinematic, you then have a cutscene where you sit down and have a little talk with the director. They ask you, like, hey, take a seat. Let's have a little chat. At this point, yes, you're technically still in the boss fight. However, there's no combat. So you, as a player, you kind of get to... You sit, you take a breath, and you're able to relax a bit in this whole chaos of what's going on. And it's great. One, being a cinematic boss fight, it... Gives a little more depth to the person you're fighting, but it also lets you breathe a little bit in that cinematic. So in terms of fighting the conductor for the first time in Hat in Time, I kind of like sat there for like, okay, I want to enjoy this witty dialogue because the game is very witty. I'm also going to enjoy the fact that I have a minute to breathe, to collect myself. Because yeah, it was, it was getting a bit intense with attack after attack, and these attacks got longer and longer and longer, and he was not stopping was great. It was a way that kept the boss fight well-balanced. Where, yes, there were challenging bits to it, and there were lengthy attacks, but now I have a chance to recover in the sense of, me as a human being, I get to breathe. Of course, they then throw you for a loop, and immediately strap a bomb to your chest, and you have, like, 60 seconds to do enough damage to the boss to cause an event to trigger that allows you to defuse the bomb, so now you're starting to panic again, but you still had that chance to kind of breathe, relax and take everything in. That is where those endurance bosses in more of like the open world style or FPS style games get a little bit more challenge out of them. Because they may be cinematic, but there's not as much room to breathe in them. Dark Souls is a great example of this, where these bosses, for the most part, are pretty relentless in their attacks. Having a chance to breathe... Rarely exists in them, so it turns into this huge endurance test. Where one, with your character build, with your stamina meter, your health bar, and anything else you might have going on, depending if it's Dark Souls one, two, or three, or even Demon Souls. But then, as a player yourself, it's like, okay, I'm getting a little tired, but I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Four Kings is the bane of my fucking existence in Dark Souls one, because compared to other bosses we'll talk about in a minute, Four Kings still has that relentless onslaught of attacks that you see in these endurance-style games, but there's multiple people going on. And that's something that started to kind of get toyed around with a lot as games went on, is how can we do multiple people in a boss fight? Whether it's that puzzle pattern-style fighting or the endurance-style fighting, is how do we handle multiple opponents? And Dark Souls kind of had a couple different ways of looking at it, which made it very interesting playing through the first time. So for Kings, you now have enemies that are constantly spawning that all have the same you know attacks all do the same amount of damage yeah you know all the same yada 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 and yes you're in this big arena but there's nothing there it's just this blank empty space the abyss there's nothing there so you're literally just watching for everything around you and trying to dodge all these attacks so one your character better be up to snuff with stamina two you better have enough dps to get through them and kill each individual person before you get overrun and three you as a human being better be ready because you're going to get tired trying to take them on. So I think in elements of Four Kings, it was a poorly executed multi-stage fight, or like multi-person fight, not multi-stage, a poorly executed multi-person fight, because there was no reason really beyond flavor for there to be multiple people. When you encounter multiple things on the screen, there should be a reason for each of them being there. And in terms of Four Kings... Other than the whole trick of, it's a demon with multiple, you know, entities, but they're all the same. There's no reason for there to be multiple kings. In the same game, if we rewind back to, like, really the first, like, legit boss, I'm not going to, like, Taurus Demon and stuff like that, but when you fight the Bell Gargoyles. Now, right there, Gargoyles, there's multiple Gargoyles, but in Dark Souls 1, it's kind of handled well, way yes... Both the first and the second Gargoyle play the same, but they introduce the second Gargoyle halfway through the fight. So you're already used to that pattern, but you're not timed. So in the Four Kings fight, you're timed. It's You know you only have a couple seconds or whatever until the next one appears. So it's literally a DPS check. It's can I DPS this guy down fast enough before the next one spawns without me also losing all my health or all my stamina. With Gargoyles... Yes, you fight the first one, and then around half health, the second one swoops in. Same moveset, yes, however, you have time to prepare for it. You know kind of what you got going on with the first Gargoyle, and now they both have the same amount of health, roughly. So I'm able to handle it fairly well, I don't have to worry about killing one fast enough before another one appears. Also, when the second one appears, it has pretty much the same moveset, but it uses it differently. It more or less kind of stays in the back, more interested in breathing fire and covering the roof with the fire and supporting the first main gargoyle than really swooping in. It's not until you get close to it that it'll kind of, like, start to use melee. The first gargoyle also will kind of stay more prominently melee until it backs up, and they might, like, if they get low in health, they might both back up and kind of suppress you with fire. They're both able to do that. They just use it wiser than four kings, and also with the fire, the first gargoyle rarely uses it in stage one. When it's just you versus one gargoyle, it's mostly up in your face. Like, there's no reason for it to be backing up. It's up in your face. When the second one appears is when they're able to, like, trade off and introduce that new element of breathing fire. However, you know enough of the boss already that you can still handle it. And then the fire isn't something too terrible. Like, you can kind of see it coming from a distance. You see them preparing to breathe. It's like, okay, let me back up. and me get to this side of the roof so I get away from it. And handle that well. And another style, at least in Dark Souls, of that multiple person fight that blends in with kind of the endurance element, which of course is everyone's favorite that was always talked about ever since Dark Souls released, was Ornstein and Smog. Now, these two, these two I've been wanting to talk about since like, I've started this whole podcast. And I figure this is the best time I talk about them because I think they have a lot of good and a lot of bad elements to a well constructed boss fight. So with Ornstein and Smog, yes, you have two people you're fighting, which, of course, right there, at least in Dark Souls terms, that was like the big shock fight, Like, Oh, no, we're fighting two of them. Even though you already did fight two people, you fought the Bell Gargoyles, which is multiple, but they weren't at the beginning. So the big shock valve of Ornstein and Smog is you're fighting two full health, fully capable bosses at the same time. That is the hardest element, though. The two of them do complement each other, where Ornstein is fast, quick, and has ranged lightning abilities, and Smog is much slower but hits like a fucking truck, and you want to avoid his attacks. The downfall is their synergy at the same time. It's well constructed that I think people should kind of observe when creating their own games that have multiple people involved in a boss fight, where there's multiple enemies to take down. Take a note from Ornstein and Smog and others constructed like them, where each person involved in the fight is unique and brings something to the table. However, they do complement each other very well. So, with Ornstein and Smog, they do complement each other where, yes, Ornstein is very fast and kind of keeps you on your toes and kind of prevents you from healing easily because you can get up there right away while Smog is slowly strutting up to you and getting ready for that one big swing. The problem is, unlike other fights where there's, you know, a group of people like, you know, World of Warcraft does with their raids, where you might fight a group of enemies, and there's your party, so everyone's kind of handling their own thing. With just you, you only have one target. Ornstein's only going to charge you, and you have this massive arena. In time, I learned that is his weakness, is his speed. in the fact that Ornstein likes to charge at you, I found that if I don't care about the loot I get at the end, like, I don't care who dies first. Whether it's Ornstein or Smog, I'm just worrying about being the boss, I'll just keep moving. Ornstein will constantly charge at me and get himself away from smog, allowing me to land a few hits in, and then just keep moving. If I, as long as I'm walking, smog's not going to catch me. And if he does, he's going to be doing the charging attack that I can see coming a mile away, and I'll just put my shield up, and the shield will take it, just like that, because most shields have close to 100 percent physical block. And then after Ornstein dies, you're now fighting smog solo. Yes, he's lightning smog, so he has like lightning-based damage, but it's still smog. It's still this big, clunky, hulking guy that if you hug his knee, he can't really hit you. Because big bosses that we see in a lot of games, that's their weak point. You get up close to them, and unless they have like a stomp attack, they're not going to hit you. Everything they do is going to go over your head, and that's exactly what Smog does. Yeah, his hits are big, but most of them go right over you. So when you solo Smog after Ornstein's death, that's it. The fight's over. There's still a bit of endurance to it where. If there's a slip up and you get hit, you gotta make sure you have enough Estus to get through it and heal up. Yes, it's just not as challenging. And even large Ornstein, if you kill Smog first, if you manage that with Ornstein on top of you, large Ornstein slows down. Yes, he takes all the power from Smog and his reach is much greater. However, he's a little slower. So now you're still kind of fighting like a big bulky Smog, just in Ornstein clothing and with more thrusting than you know sweeping attacks you're still just down to like, okay, if I can stay close, I should be able to handle it pretty well. is a little more disengaged, but if as long as I was managing my resources well in this endurance test, I can get through them pretty easily. And that's why, as much as I do enjoy Ornstein and Smog, I'll never take them as like the pinnacle of hard bosses, and, like the greatest boss in Dark Souls. They're great, but I think there's plenty of other harder bosses, at least for me in that game, especially Four Kings. Fuck Four Kings. They're much harder than Ornstein and Smog. And even Seath can give me a trouble every now and then. With Ornstein and Smog, I found out that pattern of back it up, keep moving, Ornstein will charge me. I can take him down fairly quickly until before Smog gets to me. And then Smog, I just hug him. I just I can just hug Smog. It doesn't matter what my build is, especially if you go a mage build. That is even much easier. You can pepper Smog from a distance before he gets to you, and he'll drop, and you have no problems right there. So Ornstein and Smog get a lot. Involved in their boss fight. There's multiple people going on. Which was something that was kind of new to the boss scene. That you didn't see until like later generations of games. You still have that endurance test. Of it being kind of like that RPG style. Of your resource have to be managed. Because the boss just doesn't care. The boss's only resource is health. Beyond that they can just do whatever. But there was still kind of that element of puzzling and pattern. That Dark Souls was big about. Was understanding their move sets. And at least in that sense. It's understanding how you can use Ornstein's power as a weakness to Smog and pulling him away and then using those pillars to separate the two of them, using the arena in your favor, it just, it works. And it's not as challenging. There are other bosses that do work with the environment in a way to make it a little bit more of a challenge, yes, but it's a real big thing to worry about. And I Feel For the most part, games that are able to implement environment plus who you're fighting is more like the tabletop RPGs. Like, when you play D&D, because you can just do pretty much anything with D&D, you can be very creative. That's where you see a mix of either endurance or puzzles when it comes to, you know, fighting the big bad. I can't think of any great examples off the top of my head right now because of how endless it can be, which, I mean... It's great, but it's harder than to talk about at the same time. So instead, I kind of want to look at something that, again, does well, but has a little bit of weakness to it. Because one of the other things of boss fights, it's you against the boss, and that's it. A lot of times, with other things going on when you're fighting enemies, you have a chance to run away, restore yourself, or there's resources lying around for you to use to your advantage. But most of the time, the boss is just the boss. So we look at Doom. Doom's re, you know remaster recreation of I think it was 2016 when they did it. I started playing through it recently. you know I finally have a piece that can handle it so I'm like, let me just do this and I got up to the cyber demon and I found the cyber demon to be not that difficult and this is why. The rest of Doom is yes, that gauntlet of like here's just enemies. You're fighting enemies, you're fighting enemies, you're fighting enemies. However, there's resources lying around. Pretty much any time you find like a corner full of armor and health and then ammo scattering, you know shit's about to go down. You know there's about to be waves of demons because they're giving you the resources to survive that wave. Those waves after waves after waves. With the cyber demon, it's just a cyber demon. And in the arena. There is no items. There's no restoration items. There's no ammo. None of that. You only get health and ammo after you do a certain amount of damage to the Cyber Demon, where it kind of like takes and take, it's weakened for a little bit. You can run up and resupply. So in that sense, those are that's more of a boss that falls under kind of like the pattern style boss because his attacks hit hard. Like I was hit by his blade attack where he does like a a sweep through the air and it sends out kind of like an energy beam towards you. That hits really really hard but it's also fairly easy to dodge and as long as you're able to dodge that attack you have nothing to worry about because the cyber demon can't do damage constantly there's no way for you to recover and honestly a timer on a boss fight if like the main gimmick of the boss is a timer it's not a well constructed boss i feel because now you just have that pressure of that timer there's no learning how to fight the boss it's more just fight the clock with hat and time the timer with the bomb was only a small section of the boss fight, and it was near the end after you understood the boss's attacks. And when the timer was strapped to you, the boss returned to more it's like of its phase one style of attacks, where they weren't lengthy attacks. That way you had time to hit him, and you knew the attacks he was going to do, now you're just pressured to do enough damage to get to the timer. So Cyber Demon, since the entire fight is just you versus Cyber Demon, and there is no timer, he can't do a lot of great attacks that kind of cover an area, because then there'd be no way of getting through. There's no way to restore enough health to survive, and then that's just kind of a poorly constructed boss. So the Cyber Demon, yeah, easy, but well-made also, I feel. He was easier than the rest of the game. Like, I did not die at him at all. Throughout the rest of the Doom, I died here and there one time, you know, a couple times my own stupidity of like, ooh, can I stand here? And I end up getting crushed by, you know, moving parts. That's whatever. But when gunfights there are times I've found myself dying because I wasn't able to get to the resources in time or I was grabbing the health pickup too soon and there was another wave of demons coming at me. The cyber demon's fault in challenge is the fact that it's just the one demon, so there can't be much in the way of replenishing items. So he can't be too strong. However, with the challenge missing, he's still well-made and still enjoyable because it's still knowing that this is what I have to do to beat him it is solving that puzzle in a way to get past a challenge before me i i did like him to some regard i still prefer the rest of doom because of that endless endurance the wave after wave after wave of fighting is great and it's fun and they give you enough replenishment items to get through it now we're gonna do a weird connection so here we're talking about these endurance fights especially in Doom with waves upon waves of demons. But there's another game that does something similar as a legit boss fight in a totally different genre, and that's the adventure genre with Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. Now, I don't care really what people think about Skyward Sword. Me, I played it. I found it okay. Like, I enjoyed the characters. Groose was fucking amazing. I loved Groose in Skyward Sword. He's probably one of my favorite Legend of Zelda characters, if not my favorite. I think he's great. The dungeon's... I didn't like as much. I think the game kind of faltered a bit with dungeons and everything, but they really made up with it in the end. Now, I said at the beginning, boss fights are one of my favorite parts of games, and it's really important in the sense that it's that staple of a culmination of everything you've been doing in an area or overall. So the way Skyward Sword kind of caps off everything is great. You return to the same sealed grounds that you've been going to throughout the entire game, that's just been a nuisance because you keep fighting what's his name? I honestly... The Unleashed or whatever his name is. If you played Skyward you know who I'm talking about, the big scaly asshole that's just annoying to fight. You go back to that same area. But luckily, you're greeted with something different than that asshole. You're greeted with a timer, in a sense. I don't think there's an actual timer going on, but they make it seem that way, where Gearham, who's been the guy who have been going up against the entire game, is at the very bottom doing this whole ritual to bring back Demise, his great master, you know, by sacrificing Zelda. So you try to get down there in time. And of course, he doesn't want to be disrupted. So what does he do? Send waves upon waves of minions at you. Now, if anyone's ever played a video game that has any source of progression, you know that by the end of the... You know that by the end of the game, you are powerful. You've unlocked a bunch of stuff, you have tools at your disposal, all that kind of stuff. So when you're fighting waves upon waves of enemies from the beginning of the game, they're easy. It's fun, though, and it's thrilling as you barge through these rather easy enemies to kill to get down to the bottom. It's still a little bit of a challenge, though, and there's still a bit of an endurance test there because, yes, as much as the enemies can die in one hit, there's still the whole idea of pack tactics and swarming. If you goof up on one attack or you decide to say, fuck it, and just try and run through this group and you don't make it through, you're not going to take a lot of hits. Because, yeah, they might be weak, but there's so many of them. Going back to the idea of D&D, if you have a, a group of, like, four, six-level players, yeah, goblins are pretty weak. They're going to kill a goblin in, like, one shot. But if it's four of them versus, like, 20 goblins, okay, we got to fight on our hands. Because, yeah, we can kill them easily, but they're going to hit us a lot faster than we're going to hit them because there's more of them. So with Skyward Sword, when you're fighting so many enemies at once, you have that rush of having fun of getting through them. You're still concerned about making sure you plan your attacks out just right so you don't let an attack slip through. And then at least throughout this whole fight to get to the bottom of the grounds... There are moments where their wall appears and you have to kill some special enemy kind of hidden within them. Still a relatively weak enemy compared to your strength because you still have the horde around you. But so at least it gives you objectives, So it adds a little something so it's not just tedious getting through the horde. There are times you have to stop and be like, okay, did I kill enough of them that I'm not going to get attacked while I focus on the big guy over here and take him down? I did? Okay, good. That kind of helps break up the monotony of just swarm tactics having an objective thrown in there that's obvious enough that you can get to it but still pose enough of a challenge that it gives you a minute and still makes you kind of worry about what you have on hand and at the end of the endurance test which i think they do very well a lot of times games might throw an endurance test at you and that's it the end of the endurance is like the end of the fight you have a chance to you know rest up or whatever before you fight the big baddie or it was all endurance here once you get to to the end of the Endurance and down to the bottom, you then once again go one-on-one with Gearham. the final time in the game that you fight Gearham, He's not utterly strong, though, for the reason of you just went through all these enemies. There's still a challenge there. He saw some pretty good attacks, but they also shrink it down so it's more manageable. When you're fighting through the swarm and you're trying to just run to the bottom, you kind of have this whole large platform to work with as you spiral down. But when you fight Gearham, they do very well of focusing in when fighting a boss, it's important that you have that focus. Something that in a, in a bigger game like Dark Souls, where the arenas are pretty large, and the boss might not chase you as much, the exception being Gwyn, who's on your ass, you lose focus sometimes because you don't really see what's always going on. With him your focus is always there, because hims right in front of you. There's nowhere to go. The platform is small enough that you're always face-to-face with him. You still have some way to move, though, to dodge his attacks, and work around what he's trying to do. It also feels great that this is the guy we've been fighting time and time and time again, and now, like, this is it. This is the culmination of everything. This is the end of the game, and it feels amazing to finally take him down after all this time. And since Gearham is a repeated defender in your life and a constant thorn on your side, his attacks are similar to what you faced before, and then throughout the phases... As you get from one phase to another, he starts to introduce a few more attacks. In this final phase, he actually uses a new moveset, similar to what he's done in the past, but it's with a different weapon. So it looks different, it hits harder, and the vulnerabilities are different, and his openings are different. It's great, because it still gives something new to the fight, but it keeps you focused, and it's not too tiresome, because you know what you've had to deal with. You've been through the other phases before, and fighting gear hand before, so you're used to it. So it's not too much to worry about. After the endurance test of fighting his army, if you die, yeah, you have to restart, but it's not as – there's not as much pressure because, like, I have a chance. I know what I have to do. All right, when I – remember when I first fought him and I saw that his first few phases was stuff he's already done. I'm like, okay, this is easy. I got this. The game does very well in building your confidence with who you had to fight. One, you just slayed 100-plus enemies to get down here. So, one, you have that adrenaline rush behind you like – yeah, I'm awesome, I killed a bunch of enemies, and then at least fighting him, it's like, yeah, I've seen him do this before, so I got this. You hit the final phase, like, okay, now I gotta worry. Do I have enough resources? Did I, did I plan well enough ahead, and did I have enough on me, and did I survive enough that I can get through this endurance test of a boss fight? And then when you finally beat him and Demise shows up, ready to just destroy the whole world, that's when you have that break. It's actually well-made where Demise is like, look, you're still here. I just got here. You know what? I can take over the world whenever I want. Come see me when you're ready. And he gives that chance to recoup and come back. It hinders it a little bit because Demise is kind of like Gandalf. He has some heavy-hitting attacks, but he doesn't have many attacks to his arsenal. It goes back to that endurance-style boss fight where, okay, I know his two or three main moves... As long as I dodge him, I got this. It's a matter of just can me as a human being keep up with this very large health bar that this boss has. Because you have that break, it's needed. I could not imagine trying. I mean, I remember having to fight Demise when I did the boss rush to get the uh, the, Hy- the shield with its infinite durability as like an optional content. I remember fighting Demise near the end of that, and I'm like, Jesus fuck, this is going to be insane. I don't know if I can pull this off because I'm ten, you know, I'm ten bosses down already. Me, as a human being, I'm kind of tired already, and I'm starting to run low on resources. How am I going to do this? So Demise as a final boss is well handled in giving you that break. It makes them a little easier, but it's needed. And that's something that you need to worry about when fighting bosses and designing games. It's what does it look like before you fight the boss? Because, yeah, the boss could just be this lengthy endurance test in an RPG of does the player have a high enough level team and have enough resource management that they can get through what this boss is doing? Or if the boss is, I mean, even with like Smash Brothers Brawl, when you went on a subspace emissary, just being able to get through all those attacks and recognizing how to dodge them, is the player mentally ready enough for this and have enough energy to do it? So that the moment before every boss fight is very important, almost as important as the boss fight itself. It's how do you gauge up to it? I know a big thing with you know Paper Mario and a couple other RPGs. It's you have the save block right before the boss fight, and if the game has this element, there's a chance for you do like get a full heal or like teleport to town or you know do something that kind of gives a huge red flag to say, "Hey, get ready for this fight," you know. Be ready. Boss is on the other side of this door. Go do what you gotta do to be ready. It's not as memorable as the boss fight itself, obviously. But it's still important to what the boss. Has and I think you know Doom does have the Cyber Demon where before you fight the Cyber Demon they're like you know here's a bunch of ammo, here's some armor, here's some health, go get it, just go, go go do it. Most games just kind of push you into that. There's not much more to say about that. I can't really comment on enough whether it's good or bad. I don't know. I think it's good because the dro- dropping a boss on people is just the worst. And I know Thousand Year Door kind of does that. After you beat Grotus at the end excuse me, at the end of the Shadow Keep, you take him out and he's He's a tricky pickle on his own. He's kind of a pain in the ass to take down on his own. Suddenly Bowser shows up and is like, well shit. If you don't if it's your first time playing, you don't expect that to happen. And now you're fighting another rather hard boss that goes back to the whole Ormantine Smog thing of there's two of them, and they're both really important to this boss fight, and they're both equally powerful. Fighting them after a very difficult fight with Grotus is annoying and tough. Even though I know what's coming now whenever I play the game, I still kind of tremble a little bit like, okay, I can't go too crazy against Grotus because I still need to have enough to take on Bowser after that because I won't have a chance to save and fully heal until after Bowser's fight and I go down into the crypt where the Shadow Queen is. It's not as enjoyable. Yes, it works in the sense that dropping a boss on somebody... Keeps from that typical cliche of making sure they're at their best. However, that's what the boss is. At the end of the day, the boss is that. It's you were at your peak. Either you paused the game, you went outside, or you came back the next day to take on the boss. But you were at your peak. Full health, full armor, full items, whatever it is the game has for you to utilize in this boss fight. You have a moment to collect yourself and get ready. Because the boss is challenging you as a player at your peak in that section of the game, whatever it is, whether it's the beginning, the middle, or even the end. And I love it for that. I love that chance to recover. It always seems silly to me, flavor-wise, you know, in the sense of building lore and immersion in a world, it always seems silly. But hey, it works. You know, games like Fury that it's all about the boss fights, it doesn't matter because you start each boss at full health, because those games are all about just fighting the bosses, you're always at your peak. When you walk into the next fight, you're at your peak. You have full health, full stamina, full whatever, because the the game only cares about you fighting these bosses. So they don't need the recovery stage, and it's just fine, because it's built into the game before you fight the next boss. So it's an element that we'll always see. The recovery phase before a boss fight will always be there, it's just how is it implemented? Is it a story element, like it is in Legend of Zelda, where Demai says, I'm telling you, go rest up and be ready for this? Or is it just kind of shoehorned in there, like Thousand Year Door, where it's, here's a save block, here's a full heal, you know what's coming, get in there and go kick butt. That's really the end of my little rant today. Again, I kind of wanted to see how it would go, you know, where my mind would wander and... All this discussion and see if I can make any sense I guess in what I'm going on about mainly I want to try this also with you know I'm a, I'm a school teacher and the school year just started up and I'm teaching some new content that I never taught before so I'm trying to figure all that out so mostly this was just a moment for me to kind of let myself go not worry about planning and just talk for a bit as I figure out work stuff because once works figured out I know exactly what I'm doing It'll be a lot easier to have more structured episodes, once again, like I had in the past or in the summer. So if you liked it, let me know. If you didn't like it, let me know. Just give me information to work with, alright? I can modify whatever I'm doing based on what people tell me, so feel free to rip me a new one if you need me to. Also, as always, let me know what you think just in general of the whole boss fight thing. You know, do you enjoy boss fights in games? Do you hate them? What were some good ones you remembered? Stuff like that. Just Keep the conversation going. That's what I'm doing this for, is just keep the conversation going about games in general. Not about E3 or Nintendo Direct or any of the new big stuff, just general discussion. Just let's keep it going. Let's keep talking about it. And with that, I think I'm going to go cook dinner. So everyone, have a good night. Enjoy yourselves, and I'll see you all next week. Join us every Sunday at 8 p.m. for a new episode of gaming couch be sure to follow us on facebook at gaming couch for news and updates and if you have any questions comments or ideas for future episodes shoot us an email at gaming at gmail.com